Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 414, The Fish Pond Has Me. This week, as we resume our series on the Beatitudes, Steve asks, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And he teaches us how to recognize the Father's presence. And now, here is Blessed are the Pure in Heart. In my backyard, I have a fish pond. Sometimes I think the fish pond has me. Uh, it seemed like such an easy idea. Have a pond. We have a friend who put in a little waterfall. We got goldfish. Uh, we enjoy them. My grandchildren enjoy them. But we discovered that fish ponds take some work. And uh, that's kind of my assignment, the fish pond. Uh, Christina mainly does the roses and the garden and so forth. But um, the we live in a hot climate here. We're in high desert. And so there's always evaporation going on. Um, or the other problem we didn't anticipate is that the water um, can become rather green with algae. And so when that happens, um, I've got to do a couple of things. One, um, I have to add water from the hose. Actually, um, I do this quite often, uh, a few times a week, just needs fresh water. But sometimes, especially at the beginning of the season, sometimes when it gets into the really hot times in August, uh, just adding water isn't enough, and I have to take drastic action. And so we get the fish out into a bucket, I drain the pond, I pump it out, and then I get in there and I clean all the guck from the bottom, and I pressure wash all the guck on the sides, and then we add fresh water, and, and then things are good. This beatitude tonight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, it kind of reminds me of my pond. Because to become pure, we need to add water continually. The water of the Spirit. And sometimes we've got to get down... Uh, in deal with the stuff that's at the bottom. Now this beatitude has been called the heart of Jesus' teaching. One commentator, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said, it is the greatest utterance found anywhere in Scripture. Speaking personally, like all of the beatitudes, this is really studying this, praying about it, thinking about it, uh, has really pushed me deeper into examining my own heart. So what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? And what does it mean to see God? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, in the New Testament, it uses the word pure uh, 28 times. I was surprised that um, the word heart, uh, cardia, uh, is used 102 times just in the New Testament. Now, we know we talked a lot about the cross two months ago, and we know that at the cross we were rescued, we were redeemed, we were, we were reconciled. We've, I've been with some friends, we've been talking a lot about what that means. But, and so there's a sense in which he makes us pure, but I don't think that's what he's talking about in this beatitude. I think he's talking about sanctification, being changed. The pure in heart are those who long to become more and more like Jesus. So what is purity? Uh, katharos is the word in Greek, and it means clean, without blemish, to be pure, of course. And also this one stuck out for me, to be without mixture. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. Now there's a few words I want us to consider, a few ideas I want us to consider as we look at, at purity. First of all, the pure essence of God, the, the purity of God is love. First um, John 4, 8, God is love. Love is God, but God is love. And everything else that he does, everything else we understand or think we understand about him comes from his love. 
I talked to you a few weeks ago, earlier on in this series, that the church fathers, when talking about God, who they called the original source, um, God the Father, but they talked about his essence, which is who he is at the core of his being. And his essence is really, for us, his otherness, um, his transcendence. He is he is ultimately beyond us. But they also talked about his energies. And his energies are, are what he does, uh, his actions, his operations. As we look tonight, I want you to hold on to this truth that at the heart of all he does is his love. We've got to hold on to that all the time, no matter what. God is not love and. He's not love and righteousness. He's not love and justice, love and holiness. These are all facets of his love, but his essence is love and Everything comes from this. I think that we we are always challenged when when we come into times of confusion, times of grief, uh, times of frustration. We're challenged because we don't understand all of what God's doing, this transcendent God. We don't understand much of what he's doing. And so we're tempted to lose our vision of this essential foundational core truth god is love first john 4 8 um i often think when i think about his essence i often think of his his purity and his his glory as light you know when i'm prayer walking from the lord's prayer hallowed be thy name, often becomes glorious is your name. Radiant like light is your name. It's interesting, John loved to talk about light. In, in John's prologue, chapter 1, uh, in, in the first nine verses, he uses the word light in describing God six times. Uh, in the first two chapters of his first letter, 1 John, also, six times. Um, let me give you one example. He gives light to everyone. See, God comes to us, <coughs> pardon me, in his purity, in his light. But it's our impurity that affects our vision of him. It hinders our vision he comes in full, pure light. It's us that we don't perceive that. And that's where we really want to go tonight. How do we begin to see him more clearly, to see his light? Well, I want to talk about desire. Remember a few weeks ago, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness. He, Jesus responds to those who hunger and thirst. His invitation is open to everyone. His reconciliation, all things, Scripture says, are reconciled by him. But we've, we've got to respond to that, and, and we respond with hunger. Now, when I am confronted with my own impurity with my own lack of desire, my, at times, almost, I hate to say it, but almost indifference, at least cold-heartedness, it always presents me with a choice. I can kind of quit on myself. I can fall into despair. Uh, I can be tempted to kind of give up on this journey. Or the other option is that wonderful word, metanoia, which we, we translate as repentance, but it really means to change your direction, to change your way of thinking, your way of going. And so I want to look at this in terms of desire. A really famous psalm, Psalm 51 by David, after he had been confronted with his sin, he said this, 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. You see that again? Love is who he is. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And then I want to jump down to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart. Some translations say clean heart. It's the same word. There was this desperation. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't don't let there be anything between us. Renew my heart. This is metanoia. This is repentance. You know, I was thinking today, an episode in my own life, all the way back, and I was trying to remember if it was the summer of 85 or 86, but a long time ago. And uh, I was... I was really frustrated. I was feeling hard done by. I was feeling kind of hurt. And uh, and I was holding on to that. And one day, while we were on vacation, our favorite place in the world is called Gabriola Island, but we were on vacation. It's like I saw my own heart in the situation. <laughs> It was just the grace of God. I started to see my own heart because for several weeks I'd just been seeing what they did wrong. And a kind of desperation rose up in me and I, I left the cabin and I went out to the coast and I started to walk and walk and walk. And the whole time I was praying, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. This this deep desire, this deep repentance, this deep longing was not going to be relieved through a quick prayer. And uh, it began, it, it was a long process. I was gone, I don't even know how long, but but it was it was a long time. But you see, For weeks, I had allowed myself to keep praying, reading my Bible, spending time with believers, but I was holding on to this offense. I was living with mixture. The pure in heart, katharos, means without mixture. And I I was living, therefore, with what David called an unclean heart. One of the key meanings of pure, I'll say it again, is to be without mixture. And I don't know about you, but all too often for me, I have a tolerance for mixture in my own heart, in my own thoughts. Psalm 8611 I'm going to read it first in the NIV, New International, and then the New Living. 86.10 Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Fear there means honor, reverence your name. Give me an undivided heart. The new life, new a new living says, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart, so I may honor you. The translators, one said undivided, one said purity of heart, because they're the very same concept. Katharos means the same. In the context of this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. What does an undivided heart mean? Well, probably many things, but let me just give you three. I think it means a deep desire to know God in the deepest part of our being. I think it means to experience Him. He's an experiential God. Read the Psalms. Read Song of Solomon. 
Read the prophets. He's an experiential God. And uh, to experience him, and and when we experience him with that is to, to recognize his presence. Oh, you're here. Remember, Jacob said God was in this place, and I nearly missed it. That was in uh, Genesis 28. So first of all, it means a deep desire to know God in the deepest part of our being. Secondly, to experience him, to recognize his presence. And thirdly, an undivided heart means to become more and more like him. This is what it means to be pure in heart. Those who truly seek the light of Christ will experience his gradual unifying work. Uh, The pure in heart become less and less fragmented, less uh, double-minded, as James says. To welcome Christ's light to shine on whatever in my life is divided uh, is, is a long process. But I believe that's what it is. I think his presence, his light, our openness, it starts to break up the fragmentation that is in our lives. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I've been knowing I would be teaching this tonight, and I've been reading for quite a while from historical commentators going back to uh, the third century, I've been reading uh, Catholic, Orthodox, Evangelical commentators, and I was surprised at how often commentators, uh, both ancient and new, they, they talked more about purity of lifestyle, um, and, and specifically, and they talked about, you know, sexual purity, um, uh, purity uh, against pornography. They talked about financial integrity. Of course, these these things are, are, are some of the marks of a follower of Jesus. Paul, Peter, the writer to Hebrews, they address these issues in the church. But in this beatitude, I believe Jesus <coughs> is getting at something much deeper. His greatest gift to me is his presence, his glory. Therefore, my hunger for these is at the core of what Jesus is calling me to in this beatitude. His greatest gift is his presence. Therefore, our hunger for these very things, his presence, his glory, the light of God, that's at the core of what he's calling us into. God responds to our desire. This issue of desire is huge. The more I thought about it, prayed about it, studied, the, the bigger this aspect of this beatitude came. Uh, God responds to our desire. His love is always turned toward our hearts as we long for more of him. Psalm uh, ten seventeen. O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Here's a well-known one that I've loved for over 40 years. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. (coughs) Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you, but there is nothing on the earth that I desire besides you. I also want us to remember that this is so reciprocal. We only love because he first loved us, John tells us. But look at, I love the Song of Solomon. If you've not spent time in the Song Song of Solomon, I encourage you to do that. Yes, it is a celebration of human love between a man and a woman, but way deeper and more than that, it it is Christ and his bride. It's him and and us. Song of Solomon 710. I'm my beloved's. And his desire is for me. The third aspect of purity 
is love and light. I told you love is his essence. He does everything out of his love. I love this. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. You see, to love people is to reflect the essence of God, to draw from the life of Christ that's already in you. It's already in me. It's for us, and and therefore it's up to us uh, to choose. I said before, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. We get to choose to be merciful, and by extension to choose to receive mercy. It's up to us to choose to love people. 1 John 2.10. By the way, 1 John, a short little book, five short chapters. John uses the word love 26 times. It's quite remarkable. In 2.10, he says this, whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. You see that connection he makes? He talks about love and light a lot. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. Love and light are connected to a pure heart. It's not an esoteric, vague thing. It is, there's marks of a pure heart, and love and light are among them. The more we grow in purity, the more we begin to perceive the light of God. It's a light of revelation, Suddenly we understand what we didn't understand before. Uh, It's a light of his presence. Because God is love, he is the source not only of our lives, but our capacity to love. He is the source of our capacity to love. Pure love for one another is both the gift and the reflection of God. Giving you a lot of scripture here. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. 4, 12. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. The purifying work, the uniting work, So, there's something on desire, and we could probably say a lot more. But desire doesn't just end there. It leads to, uh, I'm going to use the word effort. And some of us would just go, oh no, we can't have effort because, you know, it's all by grace. But the scripture does never tell us to be passive. Faith is never passive. Notice in in Hebrews, he says, strive to enter his rest. That's Hebrews 4. So I want to go back to Psalm 24 and read it all to you uh, uh, from verse 3 to verse 6. And this is interesting because again and again and again, historically, for, for going back 1,700 years, if you read on uh, blessed are the pure in heart. The, the commentators always, always, always take us to Psalm 24. I love Psalm 24. It's, it's rich. It, 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 near the end, it says, who is this king of glory? Um, we've, got a, we've got an e-book in our bookstore that's called, Who is this king of glory? But at the beginning of this wonderful psalm, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. By verse 3, he says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? That's the question. And here's the answer. Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully, they will receive blessing from the Lord. Do you see the parallel? Blessed are the pure in heart. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation, such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of of, uh, Jacob. So the first thing we see is those who have clean hands. 
Clean hands are hands that are used for good purposes, um, including the good of others. And pure heart that love the light, that love to ascend. We're back to the we're back to the ladder um, of a. Uh, the, I've told you, church fathers often saw the beatitudes as a ladder ascending to the presence of the Lord, getting closer and closer to Christ. Pure heart. <clears throat> this third thing is honesty, integrity. Um, it's about truthfulness and justice. And, and do you see this? They, they do not lift up their souls to what is false, and they do not swear deceitfully. They are good neighbors in the biblical sense. Um, truthfulness, justice. This takes us back to the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Uh, so who are those who ascend to the Lord? Those who seek Him. Who, who ascend is effort. I went into a uh, cathedral that was at a left, pardon me, 12,000 feet, and there were a lot of stairs, and it took effort. And I was a couple of times tempted to just stop because it was a lot of stairs, and it was hard to get my breath. But I made the effort to ascend. Those who, who make the effort to seek him, and seeking leads to encounter, because Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, Seek, and you will find. So we're back to this connection of, of purity of heart and desire. Um, powerful verse here, 2 Timothy 2.22. Shun youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Just as it takes effort to develop a lifestyle of pressing into Christ, it also takes another kind of effort to turn away from what the Scripture calls passions. Now, we've limited passions to a, a sexual sense. Um, in the early church, it was understood, and in much of the church still, is much broader than that. It's anything that seeks to control us. Anything, it could be anger, could be passion. It could be just a fixation on something. But uh, it's, it, it takes effort to press in and to ascend, but it takes effort to turn away from passions. I just wanted to put this in here. I was trying to find the right spot, but I have a verse that I often say to myself if I'm out walking, especially if I find myself with passions, if I find myself frustrated or angry or, or ruminating on something. And that's Philippians 4.8. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, think about these things. There's an interesting parallel if you want to make note of this. Uh, James 3, 17 and over into 18 talks about the wisdom from above. Well, Paul tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God. It, and read it on your own, but you see this same kind of theme of, of when the light of God, when the presence of Christ, when the nearness of the Lord comes around us, it is marked by these kinds of things. Now, <clears throat> I think that the, the purification of our hearts is the result of developing, step by step, a lifestyle of abiding in Him. I want to say lifestyle of abiding in Him. Um, remember, one of the meanings of uh, pure is clean. A passage that I refer to lots, and probably we all know, is in John's Gospel 15, 1-4. I am the true vine, 
and my father is the vine grower or vine dresser. He removes every branch that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he cleans. Some of your Bibles say prune, but the word is clean or prune to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. A pure heart is one that has embraced Christ's work in them. Uh, to remove and to cleanse. He removes things from us. Sometimes he removes things that we don't want removed. But it's everything, his essence is love. I come back to that. And, and his work is to cleanse us. So, so the pure in heart are committed into pressing into him uh, no matter what. Remember I told you that the, the ladder of the Beatitudes is calling us up to him. But here's the paradox, that word again. I can't go many weeks without it, can I? The paradox is that the, the ascent, the ladder to Christ, occurs in the descent of our hearts into humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It is the descent into humility which leads to a deep, deep love. These purify our hearts. Humility, I would say sacrifice, love. Um, I've used the word many times, kenosis, the emptying. So there's the paradox. They call us up into his presence, but <clears throat> the way up is it happens in the midst of the descent of our heart. This week's episode is brought to you by Christmas, or Christmas shopping, perhaps. If you're anything like me, you probably haven't finished all of your Christmas shopping yet. Uh, I'm recording this on December 2nd, so I don't feel like too big of a schmo for not having it done yet. Uh, and you shouldn't either. Don't feel shame. But it's time to get started. Get that Christmas shopping going. Uh, I would suggest you take a look at impactnations.com slash Christmas, and here's why. Uh, there are a whole range of opportunities for you to be able to minister to the poor while also getting a gift for a loved one. Uh, here's what I mean. You can go and select a gift in our Christmas catalog. We've got gifts starting as low as $3 to get a Bible for a prisoner in Kenya, or as much as like 600 bucks to pay for all of the labor and delivery for an abused teen mum who has been impregnated and just needs help getting through. It. Uh, all everything in between as well. Uh, and when you do that, any gift you select, you can choose to send a card on behalf of a loved one or to a loved one to say, I've given this gift on behalf of you. So perhaps you're a grandparent who is wanting to impart your family's values of reaching the poor with the good news of Jesus. Uh, this is a really awesome way to do that. Give a gift to your grandkids uh, that uh, includes a card that is going to tell them exactly what this gift does to change the life of somebody who is in desperate need of change. Uh, so for instance, here's the card. This is, this is what they look like. If you're watching on video, if you're listening, uh, you'll just have to take my word for it, but it's a, a really nice little three by five card that comes in the mail. Uh, it's going to come with your address uh, as the return address. So it looks like it's coming directly from you, but don't worry. You don't have to do anything. You just, uh, when you check out the item on the website, when you purchase that, you just write a little note. Hey, uh, dear grandkid, uh, here's the gift. And this is why it's awesome. Uh, and then when they receive that, they're going to open up the card and right inside is the note that you personally wrote. It's in a really nice font, uh, a handwritten font. So it looks just really classy. It's really nice. And then they'll begin to understand this value of yours uh, for reaching the poor and just delight in the fact that they were able to partner with you in that. Uh, here's another option. We also have merchandise that has been made handmade by people in Nepal who have escaped some dangerous situations, uh, and have received business training and skills training and stuff like that. And they've started their own business selling things like jewelry and macrame and handmade cards, things like that. And we've got their merchandise right here. Uh, we imported it into New Mexico and we're ready to ship it, uh, to you so you can wrap it up, put it under the tree. And it even comes with a little card that's going to explain who made this card. So it's going to tell you a little bit about their history, their story, and why this is such a high impact gift. Uh, these women who are making these things, some of them earned their very first paycheck when we purchased these goods from them. Uh, and so this is your opportunity to empower them, encourage them, lift them up, and propel them into whatever God has for them next. Uh, so 
impactnations.com slash Christmas. You can check it all out there. Uh, our phone number is available on the site. If you want to call us uh, to talk more about it, uh, you send us an email. Uh, you can just email us at podcast at impactnations.com and we can tell you more about it. But check it out, impactnations.com slash Christmas. And now, back to the podcast. Purity leads to action. Um, getting closer to Christ must inevitably lead us closer to his passion and compassion for people. I have said this for many, many years, uh, sometimes with prayer groups. I'll say, you will know that your heart is getting closer to him if his compassion, his burden uh, starts to become yours. You start to feel that, especially his compassion for people on the margins where he spent much of his time. That, that purity leads to action. And it, as our hearts become pure, they become, in a sense, broken again and again. And we begin to see the broken as we've never seen them before. Look what James calls pure. James 1.27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So we see the call to justice in these words. And James says that's pure. Remember I said earlier when we looked at Second uh, Timothy 2.22 that, that there is a pressing into his presence that is purity, but at the same time it is the effort to stay away. He says, shun the things of the world. Shun those things that dim our vision. Shun those things that are impure. We see these two directions, into Christ and away what seeks to defile us. Now, when James wrote that verse, he was really echoing a very well-known verse in the, in the very first chapter of Isaiah. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 16, 17. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean or pure. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And now he shifts it. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. I always remember uh, our first graduation when we were working in Andhra Pradesh, central India, and we started a series of sewing schools that, that they, they all came to Christ. Uh, I think there was ultimately 409 graduates, but this first class was 80 of them. And they'd finished the six months. They'd worked so hard. They'd learned. They, they were able to have their own businesses. And instead of uh, a diploma, we gave them a sewing machine and, and stuff to get started. But I remember this was the verse. Uh, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. That I, I spoke to them. I preached that to them that night. I'll never forget it. Now, it's really important that we don't get so esoteric, almost monastic, that we pull back from the world because we're just so focusing on the Lord. Yes, I, I, like many of you, I'm sure, I, I set the first length of time, uh, a fairly lengthy time, especially since COVID, at the beginning of the day to turn my heart, to turn my eyes. But if that doesn't take me into compassion for the poor, then I think I'm playing this kind of esoteric, quasi-spiritual game. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. He's talking there not about martyrdom for them, but rather 
giving up preferences, giving up convenience, giving up perhaps finances, giving up comfort for the sake of our, excuse me, brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. I believe this is the fruit. It is, it is, it's the fruit of this desire for pure heart, this desire for the light of God, this desire for more of Christ. So I've taken this time just to talk about purity, but he said, blessed are the pure in heart. And I'm going to take a shorter time on this, but um, the word cardia, of course, we get that, um, we use that in, in English. But you know what surprised me, really surprised me? I told you there was 102 uh, times uh, heart is used in the New Testament. But in the old and new together, 771 times the Bible talks about the heart. So I just did a little bit of easy research that you could do too. Uh, on what scripture meant by the heart. It is used figuratively for the hidden springs of the personal life. The heart is the sphere of divine influence. Uh, The heart is the seat of our moral nature and spiritual life. Um, The heart is the seat of grief, affections, desires, and imagination. Jesus said so much about the heart. I started to just write down and it was just overwhelming, but let me give you just a few. The first one is from the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes are just the opening to the sermon. Uh, In 621, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Similarly, in uh, 1235, he says, the good person brings good things out of a good treasure, and the evil person brings out evil things out of an evil treasure. You see, Jesus was challenging the idea of looking good. Um, He especially went after the hypocrisy of performance. Um, Jesus was talking to a people who had been constantly instructed Uh, by the religious leaders in the primary importance of studying the scriptures, being faithful to observe the entire law, and therefore their structure was all about performance. Uh, Let me give you a couple of ideas here of what he had to say. Matthew 15.8, he's talking to the people about the religious people. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says in Luke 6.45, The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. (sighs) You see, we can easily point at Israel... We can point at the religious leaders, say, oh, that's, that's wrong, that's bad. This great emphasis on externals. But they, both those, those things that are spoken and the unspoken expectations, they so easily impact us. In some stages in our life, they can, they can control us. They can lull us into a spiritual stupor. And I think this is the great peril of religion. That's why Jesus said, we quoted it a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 9.13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, not religious activity. In many ways, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is a commentary on the Beatitudes, and I would say especially this one being pure in heart, because he goes immediately uh, into attitudes of the heart. Um, It's the heart that matters, not the way we perform. Let me say that again. 
It's the heart that matters, not the way we perform. Because when we perform, not if, when, we are only performing out of uh, what Thomas Merton calls the false self. Uh, The one, the self that we create uh, for others, it's been called like a mask. But we create it for others and we also create it to deflect our own sense of there being something on the inside that isn't right. Jesus goes after performance. And the pure in heart, they start to, to, to recognize, to receive from him his activity toward this. He goes after performance. He goes after our neurotic need to live from the false self, to always look good, to be self-conscious in the worst sense. You know, he sums everything up famously in what's called the Great Commandment. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus answered him, Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your neighbor or friend in the same way you love yourself. Love God, love people. Our journey into purity uh, will always take us to both of these. We will grow in our love for Christ. And we will grow in our love for people. And he promised that he would help us. He promised he would pour out his spirit. John 7, 37, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Remember we talked about desire a few minutes ago. Anyone who desires. Anyone who's thirsty, anyone who's hungry, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For as the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Like my pond, the key is a heart that is thirsty for the water of the triune God. The refreshing, the renewing, the constant So, blessed are the pure in heart, and now the promise, for they shall see God. They shall see God. There's a key verse in the New Testament about seeing the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with everyone and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He says we need holiness. Does this send us back to performance? No. Holiness. <laughs> and my favorite trans- uh, translation or transliteration for holy, holy, holy is transcendent beauty. Transcendent beauty. Transcendent beauty. I love the promise Isaiah um, thirty-three seventeen. Your eyes will see, behold, experience the beauty of the king. So holiness is not about performance. It's about the desire of our heart. I've said that before. If you've not heard it, think about that. It's not about performance. It's just about desire, of course, because what is the essence of the triune God? Love. Love. He desires us. We went looked at many scriptures of our desire for him, and he desires us. Remember Song of Solomon 7.10. So, holiness is not about performance, but desire. So then what does they will see God mean? As some of the church fathers point out, one day we will all stand before Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, right? Philippians 2. 
Therefore, if he says the, the pure in heart will see God, it's most likely in this beatitude, he's not talking so much about the end times, the summing up of all things, because everyone will see God. St. Augustine said that the pure in heart will have the capacity to see, and that word means to perceive and to understand, will have the capacity to see eternal things. Jesus was always calling them up to see eternal things. Nicodemus, if you can't understand the things of heaven, the things of earth, how will you understand the things of heaven? John 4.35, lift up your eyes and see. Hebrews 12.22 and following. I was just reading it yesterday morning. He, he, the, the writer to Hebrews is calling them up, lifting up their vision. You've been called to Mount Zion. You've been called to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've been called to myriads upon myriads of angels, the church of the firstborn. It is, St. Augustine says that the pure in heart begin to grow in their capacity to see eternal things. The pure in heart begin to see Christ in more and more ways and places, in other people, in nature. This has been a growth area for me. I've never been particularly focused on on nature. And it's like I'm encountering Christ in nature. Some of you are so far ahead of me in that, but I'm growing in it. It's just happening. In our journey into a deep intimacy with Christ, he begins to share the secrets of his heart. He begins to share the secrets of his heart. And sometimes they are so simple, they just knock me over. He tells me how much he loves me. As he tells me that I'm really special. As he begins to just open up who he is. So the pure in heart enter into this journey of deep intimacy. We begin to see with his eyes the world around us. You know, as I drive and walk, sometimes I ask him to show me what he sees. I'm going to go tomorrow morning on a prayer walk into the poorest area of the international district in our city. It it used to be called the war zone. The international district is much better. But as I go for a prayer walk tomorrow... And my heart is stirred because the more I get close to him, I've got to get close to the the passions of his heart. I will ask him to show me what he sees. I encourage you. That's something very practical you can do. Jesus, start to show me what you see. Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century church father, I like very much. We're on the home stretch, by the way. The vision of God that the pure of heart know. For to see uh, God means to have God in the heart, which suggests eternal life, everlasting incorruption, immortal blessedness, a never-ending kingdom, perpetual gladness, true light, unapproachable glory, continuous rejoicing, and every good thing. Now, does that sound... Pretty wonderful. That's how he describes the pure in heart will see God. And then, of course, there's a, there's a fulfillment of, of seeing Christ that Paul says uh, near the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He says, we, we now see darkly, but we're going to one day see perfectly. The, the, our vision is going to get clearer and clearer. Um, beloved, we, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we will know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. The pure in heart are on a journey to, again, like I said earlier about the light, His light is perfect and radiant, but our capacity to see that light increases and increases. So, in conclusion, 
we see partly now. Some of you have had visions of Christ. I haven't, but some of you have. Others of you see angels. Um, Others have heard angels. I've heard angels. Um, For others, none of these things. But all of us eagerly desiring Him, welcoming His ever-deepening loving work in our lives, we'll begin to see His life all around us. We will begin to hear Him speak to us. Remember this promise. As we let Him purify and unify our fractured selves, we will see Him. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. I wanted to finish by giving you something practical. And I hope that tonight has encouraged you somehow. On my own journey, which by the grace of God takes me deeper and deeper, by the grace of God, you know, I realize that I forgot to put in a verse that I love. That I love. So I better quick, I didn't bring my Bible down with me, but I'm going to find it really quickly here. Because I don't think I read this out. It's Second Corinthians 3.18. My favorite verse, I think, about this whole thing. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed. Hmm. Being transformed. Literally, the word means transfigured into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Not the best translation. But as we press in, as we begin to behold Him, the very seeing of Him in our spirits transforms us. He changes us. He purifies our heart as we desire for more of Him. So now let me finish by giving you something really practical. It's the Jesus Prayer. I pray it a lot. (coughs) I pray it in my morning prayer time. I pray it when I go for walks. I pray it when I drive. I pray it sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I, as it were, catch myself praying it. The Jesus prayer goes all the way back to the Desert Fathers, the third, late third uh, century and beyond. Uh, The Jesus prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to give you something practical if you want it. The discipline of awareness and of focus on God's presence through this prayer pushes out worries and anger, ambition, again, what, what church history calls the passions. Um... It helps me move my center from my head to my heart. It draws me as I pray it again and again as I'm walking or whatever I'm doing. It draws me repeatedly and intentionally into the mercies of Christ. It helps to guard my heart from offenses or criticism, usually unspoken, but they're in my heart, toward others. Um, Over the last five years or so, I've been slowly learning to focus my heart on this prayer in more and more of my day. The Jesus prayer has been called the whole gospel in one sentence. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm surely not saying this is the only way, but this is a way for me that I I turn to Him. I turn to the light. I let Him purify my heart. So let's just finish with prayer. Lord, I ask for You to help us 
There's been an awful lot of scripture, an awful lot tonight, but Lord Jesus, would you breathe on that which you want to remain and let the the rest blow away. We love you, Lord. We say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your your cleansing, your purifying. Thank you for for your unifying that, that we would have an undivided heart. We welcome your work in Jesus' name. Well, that wraps another episode of the Impact Nations podcast. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to the Impact Nations podcast, uh, why don't you go ahead and do that at impactnations.com slash podcast. There's subscribe buttons across the top of that page for just about every podcast app that you would like to use. Uh, and uh, if you subscribe, then it's just going to come automatically to your device each week, so you won't miss a thing. Uh, in the meantime, please do be sure to check out impactnations.com slash Christmas. Do that soon because time is running out uh, and we want to make sure we can get those cards or those uh, Christmas gifts shipped uh, to you in time uh, for Christmas. So impactnations.com slash Christmas. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great week. God bless.